Hi, and welcome to Resurrection Church, where Dr. Joseph G. Matera is the senior pastor and presiding bishop. We are committed to serving our community and the community abroad. We pray that the word you are about to hear will be a blessing to your life and that you allow the Holy Spirit to open your heart and receive what the Lord is speaking to you. Good morning. How are we doing? You guys still love Jesus? Half of you. All right, that's all right. We'll work on the other half. Um, hey man, I am excited. Uh, if you got your scripture, you can turn with me to second Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, that's where we're going to be today. And as you're turning there, I just want to welcome everyone. Um, my name is Mike and I get the privilege of serving here at this church, this amazing Jesus community. Uh, also just want to welcome everyone who's streaming online, wherever you're streaming from at whatever location you are, uh, feel free to subscribe, hit the like button and, uh, share with a friend. And I'm excited. So last time I was here uh, on a Sunday was right before our trip to Israel. Uh, and so everyone's been like, how was the trip to Israel? You know, was it amazing? And of course, it was amazing. Uh, it, God just did some remarkable things there. And honest to God, it's, it's one of those things of like, you're in Israel, you're reading the scripture, and you're like, oh my gosh, that's right here. And this is right there. And it really just illuminates the word of God. Uh, more than, than, I don't even know how to describe it. Like, cause I, I don't know. You gotta go next time. Anyone wanna go to Israel? Some of you guys? Alright, yeah, you should, you should go. We'll plan a trip in the future. And I'm not joking about that. That is, uh, that is very serious. But one of the things, one of the things that we did while we were there is, is we, we went to Caesarea Maritime, which I'm gonna talk about in just a minute. Um, and then we went to the Galilean region, which is where Jesus did 80% of his ministry. And then we went to Jerusalem and, uh, visited, uh, the Western wall, which was really cool. And, um, the place where Pontius Pilate delivered the execution of Jesus talking about like leading up to Holy week and stuff, just, uh, just really cool. Had some prayer and worship in the garden of Gethsemane. And then at the end of the trip, um, we went to this Bedouin village, uh, which is literally out in the middle of nowhere. I mean, out in the Judean desert, it's nothing but rocks around uh, and sand. Uh, we did a camelback ride. Yeah. This boy mastered a camel. It was... It was awesome. And so first off, like camels, how they stand up, it's, it's really weird. It isn't like you just get on a horse and you just gallivant off. Um, it was kind of scary. Not going to lie. They even made you wear a helmet. But, but we got done with the camel ride and then we had this Bedouin desert dinner. And then following the, the dinner, we all gathered around this campfire and there's really nothing around, just desert. Um, and, and we, you know, we're sitting around this campfire. And we, we asked the question, hey, we're at the end of our trip. What is it that stuck out to you the most? Or what is it that the Lord used to minister to you or to speak to you? And, and I love this moment because it's the point where everyone starts crying, you know. Um, and so one person was sharing about how the Western Wall really spoke to him. Uh, another person was talking about the Sea of Galilee and how that's the place where Jesus walked on water and uh, how the song Waymaker really, really ministered to them as we were out there. Um, other people were talking about Old City Jerusalem. And, and it just kind of went all around this group. And of course, I'm crying. If you know me, I like to cry. Uh, it's very therapeutic. Uh, can I get an amen to that? <laughs> And, and so I'm crying. And then this one person ends up piping up. And he says, you know, and by piping up, I mean, he's like, 
oh, you know what it was for me? And, you know, he's crying and stuff. And I won't, I won't say who it is, but uh, Nathan, um, y'all that know Nathan, <laughs> y'all that know Nathan, uh, he's, he's like, it's just, uh, no, it wasn't that bad. But he said something that really just, just sealed it for the entire trip. Is he said, Michael, or not Michael, to this group, 13 of us, he said, the thing that really stuck out to me is the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And how we overcomplicate it in America. We put a bunch of rules and regulations around it. But this simple message started at a simple place in the Galilean region. And it truly is a simple gospel of God's love. And of course, he's crying, and then everyone else is crying, and I'm like, all right, we just had church, and so we took up an offering, and we went home, right? And so, um, but that the reason I'm bringing that up is because it reminds me of what Paul is about to address in chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians. He's, you see, he's addressing the simple gospel, and how the simple gospel has really been taken and been distorted and, and now there's deception that's crept into the local church. And, and he, he really kind of, basically his entire ministry, Paul is known for preaching the grace of Jesus. Meaning you don't have to obtain anything. Jesus already obtained it. All that you have to do is receive his grace and receive his love. And, and what happened in uh, the Corinthian church is Paul was known for being a strong writer. He was known for being like, this is what I believe. But he wasn't the most elegant preacher. Like he even says that Apollos preached better than me. Right. And, and so he wasn't known for being the most elegant preacher. And what happens is as the gospel of Jesus continued to go forth, as the message of love and salvation went forth, there started to be these men that rose up as super apostles, super apostles. I didn't know there was such thing of a super apostle, but, you know, but they rose up as super apostles and they started persuading people to a different gospel other than the simple gospel of Jesus Christ. And what happened was because they were so persuasive with their words, people started being attracted to what it was that they were saying. People started falling in love with what it was that they were saying. And so Paul starts out this portion of his letter essentially rebuking the church in Corinth. And he's essentially saying, hey, you guys are being deceived. And I'm going to pick up for time's sake in, in verse 4. He says, for if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaim, or if you receive a different spirit from the one that you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one that you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Meaning, he's sitting here saying, there's one Jesus, there's one spirit, there's one gospel. Anything that takes away from that or anything that adds to that is a false gospel. I I say it like this. Jesus plus anything equals nothing. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Meaning what we do here, our worship, our giving, um, telling people about Jesus, uh, uh, how we worship in communion, all of that stuff should point back to the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If it points to anything else outside of that, then we're missing it. 
then we're being deceived. You might be sitting here saying, Michael, I'm not deceived. We'll get to that in just a minute because he doesn't stop. Paul gets a little, well, you'll see. He continues on in verse 5. He says, Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles, even if I am unskilled in speaking. This is how I know Paul wasn't the greatest preacher. Even if I'm unskilled in speaking, I am not in knowledge. Indeed, in every way we made this plain to you in all the things that we did, or plain to you in all things. And so... You've got these super apostles that come in, and these super apostles, they, they roll up on the scene in their Rolls Royce, and they get out, and they start preaching, and the crowds come, and people flock to them and stuff, and Paul's like, wait a second, they're, they're preaching something different than what I was preaching. They're preaching something different than what Jesus preached. Oh, but yeah, Apostle Paul, they're really good with their words, though, and they make me feel really, really good on the inside and happy and unicorns and rainbows and flowers. Yeah, but they're preaching something other than the gospel of Jesus. You, you see, I, I, think, I think sometimes we forget about the importance of relational equity. Let me put it this way. Have you ever been friends with someone... And, you know, you go through life together, you experience good times together, uh, you have your highs, you have your lows, and then somebody else ends up showing up on the scene, and they show up on the scene, and they've got more IG followers than you, or they're TikTok famous, or, or whatever, and the next thing you know, that friend that you were really, really close to, they start going and like, hey, I'm going to go spend more time with this person over here. I'm going to go hang out with them over there. Their platform can get me further in my career. Their platform can get me further in what it is that I'm going or where it is that I'm going. See, this is what's happening to Paul is, is these guys were IG famous and TikTok famous, you know, Jerusalem famous. I don't know, uh, whatever they had back then. And these guys would end up coming in with their persuasive words. And the church in Corinth said, that's a little bit more attractive than what it is that Paul's preaching. We're going to just go over here a little bit and start listening and following and paying attention to what it is. It's, it's that, that idea of constantly looking for the new. Constantly looking for the next best thing or the grass is greener. On the other side. Now, maybe your friends did that, but for some of you guys, you've done that as well. You've broken relationships because someone else was more appealing to you. you you've broken God-given covenantal relationships because something seemed more attractive over there. See, see... Some of us, and I'm just going to say this, and, and this is how we say it in the church world. The Spirit just led me over here to leave my church, to not tell the pastor to just leave and just, you know, God, I'm just over here and just being filled with the Spirit. You know, anytime someone comes up to me and they're like, man, the Spirit of God just led me to your church and I left my church and it was two blocks over there and all that other stuff. You know what's going to happen in two years? That person's going to get frustrated, and they're just going to go to the next church. Uh, am I stepping on toes? So some of y'all, y'all are really quiet today. Okay, so here's what I'm getting at. 
Relational equity matters more than persuasive words. Relational equity is gospel equity. And so I want to throw this out there as a question for where we're going to land the plane in about 18 minutes. Whenever you're going through the hard times, whenever you're in the middle of all hell, whenever you're experiencing the challenges of your life, do you want someone with persuasive words or do you want someone who has the relational equity to link arms with you and to walk you through the process? Because those people that have got all the big IG followers, right? Those people that have got, you know, the TikTok, the gram, all of that stuff, man, they see you struggling. They're just going to keep focusing on their platform. They're not at all going to be focusing on you. How many of you guys, you, you saw the story, um, Inventing Anna that came out recently? It, it took place in New York City, right across the river. That, you know, the actual city, right? Manhattan. We don't, is that a word we don't use right now? But, but what happened was Anna was this made up character that this woman ended up becoming. And through this made up character, she ended up persuading all of these people thinking that she was all that in a bag of potato chips and had a lot of wealth, had a lot of fame. And, and it come to find out she was a complete fraud. Go Google it. True story happened in 2019. Right before the pandemic. And, and, and so she believed, she convinced all these people that she was this amazing fashion designer and entrepreneur and stuff. Meanwhile, she was completely broke and she was stealing from everybody. She ended up getting arrested and then later on was, was deported. But that's what Paul is starting to address. And, and this is where he gets into it. Jump with me to verse 7. Or did I not commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might not, so that you might be exalted because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my needs. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. Jump with me to verse 11. And why? Because I do not love you. God knows I love you. See, What Paul's saying is he's like, I came here not at your cost, at the cost of somebody else, so that you could hear the gospel free of charge. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ matters that much that the church in Macedonia is going to end up paying for my way to come here so that you guys can get this gospel. And I didn't want there to be any offense. I didn't want there to be any uh, boundaries or any blocks that end up getting in the way of the gospel. So I did not burden you with the financial charge, that, that, that the, the expenses of me coming here. They paid for that so that you can get the gospel. You see... um, I, 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 I'm about to step on toes, and if I do, just bear with me, all right? And I promise you, it'll be happy and encouraging at the end, all right? I grew up in a very charismatic church. I mean, we did Days of Elijah. Amen. Amen. Some of y'all are like, what's that song? If you don't know it, it's all right. Just. And of course, we're not going to sing it. Preparing the word of the Lord. Anyways, so we did Days of Elijah. We did Shofar Blowing. Anyone? Anyways, Shofar Blowing back in the day. How about the Jericho March? You got the flags and the banners and all that, you know. 
And then we did the songs like, well, I went to the enemy's camp and I, what he stole from me. Anyways, so we, we did all of that. And I I remember, I call it the Irish dance now, but like as a kid, this is how, this is how we were dancing the Lord. But then the revival preacher was coming into town. And I want to make, I want to make a distinct difference. This is different than what we experienced the other night. And I'll explain, you'll know why in just a minute. The revival preacher is coming into, to town. For us, it was Apostle Edmund was coming into town. Woo! And I'm telling you, the church went from like 17 people to like 150 overnight. And everyone was sitting there and he would come in and he'd say, Oh, I feel like God's moving. Ha! I feel like God's moving. Ho! And next thing you know, he'd end up taking the offering. And then he's like, oh, I just feel God's blessing in this house because the offering was so big. I just feel like God wants me to stay a little longer. And the next thing you know, a two or three day revival turned into a four or five week revival until the church was milked of all of their finances. And the big hotshot preacher got a big paycheck and then he took off and he went to the next city or the next church to corrupt them and destroy them. Oh, you ain't ever been there. It's good if you haven't been there. I know in Albany we experienced this. Big hotshot guy comes in, three-day revival. He was there six weeks until the money dried up, and then he went to his next church. See, that's what Paul's addressing here, where uh, Pastor Frenet was already scheduled, set amount, all of that stuff, totally different right there. He came and did what God called him to do. He honored the house. Such an honoring guy. Like, didn't even take an offering for himself. Totally different than what I'm talking about here, right? But but what was happening is this is what the, the Corinthians were experiencing. These super apostles would come in, they would milk the church of Corinth for their finances, and then they would end up going off to someplace else. And Paul continues on in verse 12. He says, and man, this is, this is where Paul gets feisty. He says, and what I am doing, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. Let me just let me just pause there for a minute. This is this is how, you know, if someone's preaching Jesus or not, guest preacher wise. All right. Little little theology talk. If they get up here, they open up the word of God. They preach out of this. And signs, wonders, and miracles follow, or uh, altar call for salvation follows. I can get on board with that all day, every day. Praise God. If they get up here, and this thing stays shut, and they talk about all the crusades that they did, and all the people that got healed, and all the prophecies that they gave, and how God ended up doing all of these remarkable things, and they don't once mention our Savior, Jesus Christ, that's a problem. That's a problem. And that's what Paul's addressing. He's saying they got up here and they were boasting about all of their work, all of their deeds, how big their IG following is, how big the crowds were at their most recent crusade. And so Paul, he says, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. Now catch this. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as the angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants, also disguising themselves as servants of righteousness, in, or their end will correspond to their deeds. Meaning, 
All these men, they come here and they they disguise themselves as angels of light. Well, even Satan did that. And Satan obviously is not in relationship with our Heavenly Father. And Satan has got men and women who are going out disguising themselves as angels of light. But really, they are the darkness. And they are destroying the church. And they are pulling people down with false words, with false hope, and with something that is added to the gospel, which takes a place, takes, takes away from the simplicity of the gospel. I'm going to say it like this, all right? Prosperity gospel. We've heard that, right? See, prosperity gospel is name it and claim it. Um, I'm going to give $1,000 so that I can get $10,000 like it's Bitcoin or something, right? Um, I'm, I'm, and, and oh, oh, and this is the best. If you don't get healed, it's because you don't have the faith to get healed. I'm pretty sure there's a few people in here that were like, I, I, I have no faith or I have little faith. Help my unbelief, right? And God still worked. See, the prosperity gospel is all about give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. It's all about seeking the gifts of God instead of the gift giver himself. And that's the danger in the church. And if I can be so honest, that is what has crept up in the Western culture. If you don't believe me, go on YouTube and listen to the YouTube preachers. They're out there. We're on YouTube right now. I'm not one of those YouTube preachers. I just want to make sure that's very, very clear. All right. So hopefully you see the difference. Someone sitting there watching right now and being like, am I listening to a prosperity gospel? I'm going to get in trouble for today. So you got the prosperity gospel. And then on the flip side, and this is something we don't talk about enough. You got the poverty gospel. I I don't know where in the world the idea that pastors and Christians should be broke, poor, and and just begging for food. I don't know where, where people got that idea. Because it's not in the Bible. So in Israel, of course I'm going to have some Israel stories. Um, there's this father, this priest from uh, Mexico, and he ended up buying a plot of land. I'll give you the Reader's Digest version. He bought a plot of land because there are so many um, Spanish Catholics who are going over to Israel. And he's like, well, let's just open up like a little little hotel, kind of a boutique hotel. Uh, and the way it works in Israel, if you buy land and if you want to build, regardless of where you are in the country, they have to do excavating for to see if there's any kind of archaeological digs there. And so uh, they went in and they were about to start construction. And lo and behold, they found a synagogue. And then they kept digging and kept digging and kept digging. And they started digging out this whole town of Magdala. See, you may remember Mary Magdalene, right? And they recognized this was, this was the town that Mary Magdalene was from in the Gospels. And, and it says that Jesus preached in all the synagogues in the known region. And so they know for a fact that Jesus preached in this synagogue. And so this priest ended up hitting the jackpot. I kid you not. Uh, I'm going somewhere with this. He ended up hitting the jackpot because his little boutique hotel has now become a major tourist attraction because it's like one of the, one of four synagogues that they know for a fact that Jesus preached in. But as we were, we, and it's really cool because like you're, you, you've been to this one, right? Yeah. So like you're eating breakfast and it's like Jesus preached 20 feet from me. It's really cool. It's really cool. Um, but one of the cool things about it, is whenever they were going through the, the, the tour portion, they were saying, this is this, and this is what this means, and all this other stuff. They said, have you noticed the mikvahs, which was the cleansing tanks, the, the baptismal tanks, for lack of better words? 
We know that this was a wealthy city because the mikvahs were all private and were very, very nice. And one of them still has a literal spring running to it that was there during Jesus' times. It's really, really cool. And so they were saying, you think that Mary Magdalene was broke and poor, but she came from one of the most wealthy cities in the known region. And I don't know if you guys know this, but who was it that funded Jesus' ministry? Anyone? The women funded Jesus' ministry. The women funded Jesus' ministry. And these women were not broke. And, and so there's this idea of if, if we don't preach the prosperity gospel, then we ascribe to the poverty gospel. And I don't believe that whenever Jesus said, I came to give life and life more abundantly, that that meant that we should be broke and begging for food. Now, are there some people that God calls to that? Yes. I am not one of them. Praise be to God. All right? Just going to say it. I believe that God desires for us to experience his abundance and his blessing so that we can be good stewards of the gifts that we've been given to fund the kingdom of God in the advancement of the gospel. And so I look at it like this. Everything in my bank account is his. And if he tells me to give $500 away, it's his that I'm giving away anyways. And I want to be so generous because the scripture is very clear. You reap what you sow. Right? You reap what you sow. And, and so you got the prosperity gospel, name it and claim it. You've got the poverty gospel. You should be eating locusts like John the Baptist. And then you've got the simple gospel where you find Jesus. And, and so this is what Paul is stressing. And, and this, is, this is my favorite part of this chapter right here. This is where I start yelling. I repeat, verse 16, let no one think me foolish. But even if you do, accept me as a fool. I love that. Like, don't think I'm foolish, but if you're going to accept me as a fool, I'm a fool, okay? So that I too may boast a little. Now, let me let me pause right there. All right. How many of you guys have heard the saying, if you can't beat them, join them? Anyone? Like, and, and then your parents, right, whenever you're growing up, it's like, man, all the kids are doing it, mom. It's the new style. And your mom's like, well, if all the kids ran off a bridge, would you run off a bridge? And then in your rebellious attitude, you're like, I absolutely would. Absolutely, right? That was the conversation between me and my dad all the time. Like, um, this is kind of what, what's happening with Paul is he's saying, look, I, I can't beat them. So let me, let me join in on their argument. Let me join in on their discussion, the super apostles discussion. Let me, let me, let me get on the same playing field as these super anointed Apostles, apostles, he continues on in verse 17. He says, what I am saying, what I am saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. I love you, Paul. You see his humanity right there. He's like, this is all the flesh talking. All right. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast according to the flesh. I too will Boast, verse 19, for you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourself. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you or devours you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or strikes you 
in the face. To my shame, I must say, we are too weak for that. And, and so what's happening is he's starting to compare the ministry of uh, these super apostles comparing to the ministry of the gospel. And, and he's saying like, hey, they're going to talk about their crowds. Hey, they're going to talk about how many influencers they have. Hey, they're going to talk about how much money God's blessed them with. Hey, they're going to talk about all of this stuff over here. And they're just going to keep building up the clout for them. Um, I am too weak to be able to do that. So let me let me engage into this discussion a little bit. Let me engage into this conversation. And if you want to compare apples to apples, that's fine. Let's compare apples to apples. And then he says this. He says, but whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. And then he goes off. And this is what I love. Are they Hebrews? Are they, the, the super apostles, they're Hebrews. Okay. So am I. So am I. Just, just want you to know. They're Hebrews. I'm a Hebrew. We're Hebrews together. Hebrews is better than Starbucks. Hebrew. That was such a lame joke. Are they Israelites? Okay, they're claiming that they're Israelites. So am I. Just let it be known. So am I. Are they the offsprings of Abraham? You know, Father Abraham who had many sons. Yep, I'm one of them too. Just just want to let you know this. And then he says this. Are they servants of Christ? And I could just imagine Paul getting up in the face. And he's like, are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm a better one. Now, what kind of audacity does Paul have right here saying this? Getting right in the middle of their business. Right in the middle of what was going on. Right in the middle of the deception and the corruption. And he's saying, hey, they're claiming these all of these things. And they're claiming that they're servants of Christ. I'm a better one. You want to compare crowds compared to what I've been to? Let's go ahead. You want to compare how much God's blessed them compared to what it is that I walk in? You want to compare all the things that they have compared to the anointing and the power that I walk in? Come on, let's go ahead. We'll, we'll, we'll play this game. And this is what he's doing with the church. He says, I'm a better one, and I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonment, with countless beatings, and often near death. So you got big crowds. Congratulations. You got a big social media following. Have you been through the fire? Have, have, you, have you gone through the, the hell that I've had to go through to be able to carry the anointing that God has placed on me? See, many people, they want the anointing. They want the microphone. They want to move in power, but they're not willing to walk through the trenches and to bear with the burden and to bear with the sadness and to literally take one step after another saying, God, I need you right now. Paul said, I don't care how big your social media following is. I got him who I am following, him who is with me, him and his anointing and his power that is flowing through me. You want to compare? And then, ooh, and this is, this, this is what I love. He says, far more imprisonment. And then, he, then he, and he goes into numbers. He says this in verse 24. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one, meaning 39 lashes. They were not allowed to beat someone 40 times. Five times I was beaten 39 times. Three times I was beaten with rods. 
Once I was stoned, as in rocks thrown at him. That did not go well either. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at the sea on frequent journeys in danger of rivers, danger of robbers, danger of my own people, dangers of the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. Verse 27, in toil and hardship, though many a sleepless night and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from the other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all of the churches. Now, I want you to think about this. Because the next time you turn on YouTube and you see someone who's got all that, the next time you end up hearing about the next big preacher that ends up popping up, which right now, I'm just going to be honest with you, I think God is removing a lot of people to bring his church back to the simple gospel. I'm just saying that. I'm just saying that. The the next time you get caught up with the next great and big guy who's going to end up doing whatever it is, and you're going to end up hitting the lottery and getting rich, I, I want to, I want to challenge you. Do they have a life that Paul is talking about? Do they have a life that is willing to bust their hump for the sake of the simple gospel? Like, I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think they do. I don't, and I'll be honest with you, I talk to a lot of church planners and a lot of church planners, it gets hard at six months in and they're like, I want to quit, I want to give up. And most of them do. Most of them do. What would have happened if Paul would have given up on the church in Corinth? What would have happened if Paul would have given up on the church in Philippi? What would have, what would have happened to the church in Ephesus? See, if the church of Ephesus would have never been impacted, the gospel would have never left and gone out to Asia. I want you to think about that. Five times he was beaten. Three times beaten with rods. One time he was stoned. Three times shipwrecked. One time lost at sea. Danger and more danger and more danger and more danger by Gentiles and by Jews and by Romans and by all of that, plus the daily pressures of the church resting on him. I'm going to be honest with you. People think that being a pastor is fun, and it is fun. I, I do enjoy my job. But they think that all we do is we study the Bible and then we preach on Sundays. That I wish that was the case. I wish. There is a weight that is placed on a pastor's shoulders that unless you're a pastor, I don't think you can quite understand. There is a responsibility that we are constantly having to carry And we do it for the glory of God. We do it for the glory of God. And and so, let me kind of bring all this back. I asked this question, who do you want by your side when you go through hard times? That's essentially what Paul is saying. Who do you want on your side, Church of Corinth, whenever you go through hard times? Someone who's got a lot of glamorous words, 
Someone who's very persuasive or someone who's been through all of this for you? See, church, I want to I encourage you that we're not going to get up here and ask you to do something that we're not willing to do. We're not going to get up here and preach a prosperity gospel that tickles your ears because of the severity of what's at stake. I, I want someone in my life who at my mountaintops and in my valleys is going to be there. I want a church community that whenever I'm experiencing great joy, they rejoice with me. And whenever I'm broken and I'm hurting, they mourn with me. I want a church community that's going to link arms with me and walk side by side. And whenever I don't have the strength to keep going, they literally pick me up and they keep going. And they say, brother, sister, we're going to get through this. You may not be able to walk right now. You may be wounded right now. But we're not giving up on you because Jesus didn't give up on you. And because he didn't give up on you, we're not going to give up on you. We're going to keep believing. We're going to keep moving. We're going to keep fighting. And we're going to keep seeing life. Lives change regardless of the attacks that are thrown at us because the simple gospel is too important. This message of grace, this message of hope, this message of love has got to get out of these walls. And so we're going to come together as the church of Jesus Christ and we're going to walk through hell. We're going to let the enemy attack us, but we're going to stand as conquering victors because of he who defeated death, he who defeated sin, he who is coming again. Jesus, let us be that. You can stand if you're not standing already. I want to close out with this. I am hurting for the church. And I don't mean Res Church. I'm hurting for the global church right now. And the attacks that it's been through, the stuff that's come out, the documentaries that are being made, the God, there has to be more. One of the the most, I guess, prominent moments of my trip to Israel was we were in Caesarea Maritime, and um, it's beautiful, like theater slash coliseum and. I mean, it's overlooking. Herod the Great built it, and then and then Tiberius had more people build it. And um, I mean, just this beautiful, beautiful thing. And, it, and it's really cool. So we're sitting there and we're eating lunch, and the Mediterranean Sea is crashing on the waves. And I'm just like, it's like a fairy tale, you know. Um, and and we're we're walking around, and and you go through this one area, past these, I kid you not, past these you know, 2,000-year-old bathrooms for the rich people, and you walk out, and there's this open field where they would do chariot races. And we walk over to where Herod the Great's palace once stood, and they end up opening up the book of Acts, and they read about Paul's imprisonment and him being before King Agrippa. And our guide, Amer, he says, it's right here. We can say for certain that Paul addressed King Agrippa. And it's right below us that he was imprisoned. And he started writing his letters to the church. And then we walk out from there and we go into the sand 
beautiful sand area and you've got this uh, half coliseum type thing. And he said, it's right here where the horse races and the chariot races would take place. But it's also where the prisoners would fight as gladiators. And then he raised this question. Who were the prisoners in the first century and second century Rome? Christians. He said, you are standing on the sand where hundreds, if not thousands of Christians were martyred for their faith in Jesus Christ. And I'm talking about like, like, you just, wow. Standing in a place and in the town where Paul, under house arrest and imprisonment, wrote these letters to the church in Corinth, the church in Colossae, the church in Ephesus, to Titus and to Timothy. And how we've got two-thirds of our New Testament from that. And this is what we're invited into. It's not my story. It's not your story. It's God's grand story of him reconciling the world. And at the end of the day, I want someone who's willing to walk with me through hell and high water to get to where it is that God is calling me to do. Let's pray this morning. Father, God, we just thank you. God, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your simple gospel. A simple gospel that requires so much of us. A simple gospel that invites us to lay down our desires, our wants, our plans. A simple gospel, though, that brings power and transformation. A simple gospel that brings healing and deliverance. A simple gospel that makes dead things rise from the ashes and step in to beautiful things. And so, Father, I just ask right now in this place, wherever people may be, that you would just speak to us this morning, God, that you would just move in this house, God. Father, I just ask right now that you would just give us the power to be the church of today, the power to proclaim the gospel of Jesus, the power to walk in signs and wonders and miracles, the power and the authority and the anointing to be all that you've called us to be, Father, that we can look forward towards the goal that you've called us heavenward and and literally lay aside the sin that so easily entangles us this morning. Amen. We pray that you were blessed by this word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at resurrectionchurchofny.com or give us a call at 718-436-0242 and be sure to follow us on Instagram at reschurchnyc. Take care and God bless.